Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. Well, welcome Cross Lane to week three of our series, I've Got Questions. This is the last of the little three-part series that we began a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we're just looking at things that that get us stuck in our faith, and uh, we're going to look at a biggie today. I'm going to try to answer a question today that I think has really baffled a lot of people over the years. We're going to try to answer the question this morning, can I trust that the Bible is true? Can you trust that the Bible is true for you? Did you know that to date, as best as we can figure it, that there have been about 130 million different books that have been published throughout history? And here's what we know about those 135 million books. Not every book is reliable, not every book is true, and not every book is helpful and relevant. Uh, let, me, let me give you two examples of what I'm talking about. The first book I want to show you is this little jewel right here. This is Everything Men Know About Women, and it's written by a man, uh, Dr. R., uh, Alan Francis, and uh, I thought this would be a good book to, 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 for me to add to my library from a counseling perspective. I thought it'd make me a better counselor. I mean, men, everything men know about women, that just sounds like something that I ought to have in my library. And I I think every man should pick up a copy of this very significant book. It's a a short, easy read. Uh, It's a short, easy read because every page in this book is empty. (laughs) There are no words anywhere in this book, which is, uh, of course, symbolic. Some of the ladies were out there when I started talking about a book, everything men know about women, like, oh, I want to see what's in that book, right? Like you... (laughs) You were pretty interested and, and uh, I would say probably skeptical that there could be, uh, well actually not skeptical, probably skeptical of the men that they would know anything about women because we, we pretty much demonstrate on a pretty regular basis that we don't understand you guys. And so um, this book is a joke, right? Like this is meant to, as a party gag or this is something that you bring out and you talk about, hey, I've got this book and it's everything I know about women and it's, it's, it's empty. Um, but this book is not a joke. The book that I'm going to show you next has over 2,400 reviews on Amazon, and it is rated four and a half stars. This is a serious book. Whoever put this book together was dead serious when they did it, and it's called Crafting with Cat Hair. You can't make this stuff up, man. (laughs) You take your cat's hair and you make things with it, okay? You can make things like finger puppets, like badges. You can make kitty portraits. I'm not kidding. You can make tote bags. I, I love this picture. This picture was included on the Amazon site where I saw this book, and, and I had to show this to you. This is pr- included in the promotional materials. Um, they've got these finger puppets and these things down by these cats, and the one cat says, this smells like me, and the other one is saying, yum. Um, Just, I say that to say that you cat people are crazy. Now, uh, I I poke fun at cat people all the time. Our our worship leader, Shelby, has a couple of cats, and she she hates it when I do that, And, and honestly, I don't have anything against cats. I actually like cats. I think cats are cool, but um, it's just so easy. Sometimes the fruit is so low-hanging that you just have to pluck some of it once in a while. And um, that book kind of got me tickled. But the thing is, it's real. It's a real book. 
Um, The question this morning is, what makes the Bible different than a lot of other books that are out there today that you would consider untrue, unreliable, maybe completely irrelevant, full of irrelevant stories? What makes the Bible different than all those other books? Because that is what some of you have been told about the Bible. Some of you may even believe that the Bible is not true, not reliable, and that it's actually not even relevant for today. Did you know that statistically today, 42% of the people in America are either neutral or think that the Bible is unreliable? Now, there are a lot of reasons for that. It could be, and this might be your experience, you went off to college and you had a professor And that professor was either an atheist or an agnostic, and he was hostile to faith, and he got up and he took his best shots at the scriptures and told you how stupid it is to believe in something like that and how you really can't be a serious student if you take seriously the Bible. And he had all this information, and he threw all this stuff at you. And after all, he was a professor, and he had PhD after his name, and they they called him doctor, and so... You, you were impressed by him, and you thought, well, he seems pretty smart. He's probably more right than me. And, and that brought you into this space where you came to see the Bible as irrelevant or um, unattractive or untrue or, or not to be believed. It could be that you have a relative who, who you highly respect, somebody that you look up to, and they basically said, how could anybody in the 21st century believe in a book that doesn't align with all of the science and all the scientific discovery that we have today? And that sounded good to you. You thought that sounded like something rational that someone rational would say. Um, and so you kind of just were, were, were biased or you came to this idea that, well, because Uncle Joe says it and I, I look up to Uncle Joe and respect him and he seems to know what he's talking about, then the Bible must be untrue and unreliable. Or it could be that maybe you have never really investigated it for yourself. And I I can't tell you how many times I've been in conversations with people who were taking all kinds of shots at the Bible and talking about how untrue it is and how know scientifically doesn't match up and all those kind of things. And I asked the question, have you read the Bible? Well, no, but. No, 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 no. You're, You're trashing something that you haven't even read. Right now, if you're going to trash the Bible and, and you're going to say it's untrue, look, I can't. Um, I'm going to try to change your mind today, but maybe I can't. There may be nothing I can do to change your viewpoint on how you see the Bible. But the one thing that I do think is is a reasonable thing to expect is that if you're going to critique something, you should have at least read the thing that you are going to critique. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to do some training, and at the end, I'm going to try to make this as simple as I know how. But I want to train your faith today. Here's why the Bible is so important. The Bible is important because the Bible claims to be true. Uh, Listen to this. 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Why? Why why is that? Verse 17. "So, So that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, let me just explain something to you. When the Bible makes reference to being, when it, when it says that the Bible is God-breathed, okay, God-breathed, that is a, a compound Greek word which literally means comes from the breath of God. That's what it means to be God-breathed. In other words, the claim that this book 
uh, makes is that God himself breathed the inspiration of this book, God's Word, to you. That's what it's claiming. So does God speak to me today? Is that what you're saying, Brett? God speaks to me today? Yes, he speaks to you through his God-breathed, his inspired Word of God. Uh, So, why? You know, why, 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 so, so that you could be, why did, so the question is, why would God inspire a book and God breathe it to me? Why would he do that? So that you can be, according to scripture, so that you can be thoroughly equipped. Now, that is also a, a, a great Greek word. It is a perfect tense Greek word, which means that not just thoroughly equipped for one thing, but that you would be thoroughly equipped in all of the seasons and circumstances in your life. That's why God has given you his word, because he wants you to be equipped. He wants you to know how to make decisions. He wants you to know how to function. He wants you to know what kind of mindset you need to have to navigate the crazy world that we live in. Can you imagine being thoroughly equipped in all aspects of your life, in your marriage, in your finances, Can you imagine being thoroughly equipped for parenting? Thoroughly equipped for leadership at work, for relationships, thoroughly equipped for the the, the pains and the, the loss that we go through in life. The claim of Scripture is that uh, it is true so that you can be thoroughly equipped for everything that you need to deal with in life. So here's the question this morning that lies before us. Do you believe that's true? Do you believe that's true? Because if you don't, you'll never be transformed in your life. Let me say it this way. You can't have a transforming faith without trusting the Bible. When you look at someone and you think to yourself, why isn't my faith as dynamic as their faith? I wish I had a faith like that. I wish my faith was that strong. I wish I, wish I was so secure and I wish I had so much confidence in Scripture. Um, why is their life being transformed? I want my life to be transformed the way their life is transformed. The answer lies here. Do you trust the Bible? Because what, it, what is true about relationships is true about the Bible. The moment that trust breaks down in a relationship, the relationship is pretty much over. We can agree on that, right? When you, when you lose trust, you've lost pretty much everything. The moment your trust of the Bible being true breaks down, you will get stuck in your faith. You may even leave faith at that point. Is the Bible true? Today, I'm going to give you evidence. I'm going to give you four reasons that I think we can trust that the Bible is true. Now, there are more than just what I'm going to present this morning. You could, spend, you, could, you could just spend forever tracking down more and more evidence that supports the things that I'm going to say this morning. But uh, I only have so much time, and so this is what we're going to get this morning. Here's the first one. You can trust the Bible is true because of the historical accuracy of the Bible. Now, I'm going to read you a, a historical statement, and I want you to see if in your mind there is anything wrong with the statement that I'm going to read to you. Okay, so here's the historical statement. One of the greatest technological breakthroughs happened in 1973 when Bill Gates started a company called Apple whose headquarters were located in New York City. Now, did you see anything 
wrong with those statements. First of all, the date is wrong. It wasn't 1973, it was 1976. The second thing that's wrong is I got the person wrong. It wasn't Bill Gates, it was actually Steve Jobs who started uh, the company Apple. And, and it wasn't founded in New York, it was actually founded in a place called Cupertino, California. You look on the back of any packaging that Apple has and you will see that name, Cupertino, California. Here's the point. Accurate and reliable history always gets dates, people, and places correct. Okay? Accurate and reliable history always gets dates, people, and places correct. So here's the amazing fact about the Bible. No historical book in the world covers more history than the Bible. In fact, I would even tell you this. I would tell you that no other book even comes close. The Bible isn't really even a book. The Bible is a library of several books put together. The Bible consists of 66 books, two testaments, old and new, written over 1,500 years by 40 different people in three different languages on three different continents, telling one consistent story all about Jesus. Now, with that much historical evidence and history being uh, covered, no book covers more history than that. Thousands of events and places and kings and rivers and mountains and deserts and coins and cities. What do you think the odds are that over time somebody would find some historical misrepresentations or inaccuracies? What do you think are the odds of that? Did you know that there has not been one historical or archaeological find that has ever proven that what the Bible says is not true? Not one. And believe me, <laughs> they have tried. In the 19th century, one of the greatest critiques of the Bible was the Bible's use and reference to the, the people group of the, Hip, Hip, the Hittites. The Hittites. Uh, the Bible makes reference to this group, this massive nation, this people group known as the Hittites, and they're mentioned 133 times in Scripture in 76 different verses. And the critics said, see, the Bible is not true because there's never been one historical find that confirms that there was ever a people group known as the Hittites. So the Bible is fake news, is what they were saying. In fact, the Encyclopedia Britannica took its own uh, shot at the Bible. The Encyclopedia Britannica was really the gold standard of, of you know, education and, and history and things like that at the time. And in the 19th century, they took a jab at Christianity when they said, we anxiously await the proof, any proof, that the Hittites ever existed. Guess what archaeologists found in 1906 in the Middle East? They found a massive civilization, and they unearthed, unearthed the civilization of the Hittites. There have been over 25,000 archaeological digs and finds over the years that have all confirmed facts, figures, people, and places about the Bible. The archaeological over, uh, evidence is overwhelming when it comes to our scriptures. I even have something in my library that I bought with me just to show you. This is, this is the archaeological Bible. 
Um, it's amazing all the different Bibles that are out there, but they've got one that is completely dedicated to archaeological digs and archaeological finds, and it's fascinating. I might you know, recommend that to you. Uh, Dr. Nelson Gleck, who is a uh, Jewish archaeological expert, said this. He said, it may be categorically stated that no archaeological discovery has ever contradicted a biblical reference. Now that is fascinating to me. By the way, all you single ladies out there, I don't know uh, if you know this or not, but it's a proven fact that archaeologists make the, the best husbands. Do you know why? It's true. Because the older you get, the more interested they are in you. <laughs> I knew you would dig that story. I knew you would dig that joke. <laughs> uh, the archaeological evidence is amazing. <laughs> but, but listen to me. The Bible actually has more ancient copies closer to the original date completed than any other historical book in the history of the world. Let me show you what I'm talking about. We look at documents when they were completed. We look at, at, at how many manuscripts we have of those documents and the dates of those manuscripts. So you don't ever have the originals. What you have are manuscripts. You have copies of copies of copies. And, and this is true of any historical document. You, you, it's very rare that you go into antiquity and you have the original copy. In fact, I, I, don't, I can't even, I mean, I'm not a scholar like that, but I don't know of any off the top of my head that I would point to and say, yeah, they've got an original of that. So we look at documents, we look at completed manuscripts, and we look at the date of those manuscripts, which is really the best indicator that you can use for their historical accuracy and reliability. Now, you may have studied the works of Plato when you were in, in college, or maybe when, if you were in a high school class, they, they talked about Plato. No one ever questions Plato. No one debates that Plato uh, ever lived or that he ever existed. We pretty much all are on board with the idea that Plato actually existed. So there's, he's never called into question. Plato wrote his works in 350 BC. We have only seven documents of his work and they are from 1,250 years after he wrote them. The Gallic Wars, written by Julius Caesar, considered by historians as complete fact, he wrote, those in, he wrote about the Gallic Wars in 50 BC. We have 10 copies of the Gallic Wars, and the 10 we have were written 1,000 years after the original. Then you look at the works of Tacitus, or Tacitus, I've heard it said both ways. Uh, he was an amazing historian. He wrote in 117 AD, we have two, two of his manuscripts today, 733 years after he originally wrote them. And so now we come to the New Testament, and let's lay the New Testament aside alongside these works that no one disputes, that no one calls into question, that no one says, well, you know, it's sketchy whether or not we can trust that or not. Nobody does that. Now let's look at the New Testament. The New Testament was completed in its entirety in, 19, in 95 AD. 95 AD. We have 5,700 ancient documents, and that number grows every single year. They're constantly adding to that number. And we have copies that are as small as 40 years removed from the original. 
The manuscripts we have are so close to the actual time that these events happened that if they didn't happen, if there was any untruth in the, in the account that is there, these documents would have never lasted. They would have been dismissed. No one would have paid any attention to them. That's not the case. They have, they have uh, persisted and existed through time. Now, what would be the odds that all these ancient documents we have actually match the Bible we have over 2,000 years later? Surely it's changed over time. Surely, um, you know, people have interpreted and misinterpreted. Surely today's Bible doesn't closely match the original. From the ancient documents to the Bible we have today, there is a 99.5% accuracy rate between the Bible that was and the Bible that is. And you say, well, Brett, what is that half percent? What's, what's all that about? It's, it's uh, uh, some misspellings. Sometimes there's an A or a the in, in the wrong place. Um, not one thing from the ancient document, from what we have today, would change a belief, would change a doctrine, would change a theology. Not one thing that, that we have today would be changed because of some inaccuracy that you might uh, think you have found in the scriptures. This, would, this should give you like unbelievable confidence in the scriptures. Historical accuracy. There is not another book in the world that spans more historical data with as much stunning accuracy as scripture, which is exactly what you would expect if this were the word of God. That's exactly what you would expect. So that's the historical accuracy. Now let's move on to the second reason that you can trust the Bible, the scientific accuracy. Now that should have gotten your attention, okay? Brett's actually gonna go there. We're gonna talk about the scientific history and, and accuracy of the scriptures. How many times have you heard this? Well, science and the Bible don't match up, and so if I'm gonna have to choose one of those, then I choose science. I mean, we live in an age where science is king. Once upon a time, the Bible was king. You can go back in history, there was a time that if science and the Bible ever looked like they contradicted, uh, the Bible always, you know, nobody sided with science. These days, you have a lot of people that just say, just right out front, listen, if there's any contradiction, I'm gonna go with science instead of the Bible. Um, I was told recently, in a kind of a condescending way, well, Brett, you believe what you wanna believe, but in our house, we believe in science. You know, as if to say, we dismiss your intellect, we dismiss your, uh, your, your, your smarts. Um, you believe the Bible if you want to, but we, we're smarter than that. We don't, we don't believe that, we believe in science. You know what? There may be no more irrelevant book in the world than an old science book. Do you know why? The science book that you had in middle school or, or junior high school, um, and for people like me, that's some time back, um, that book today would be irrelevant because there has been so much discovery, there's been so much added, so much would have changed. One of the most irrelevant things in the world is an aged science book. In the 1800s, if you got sick in the 1800s, do you know what the scientific advice was for doctors who treated you in the 1800s? And this is written in all the science books of the day. They said you should cut a hole in your arm and let it bleed out a little bit, and it was called bloodletting. That's what they called it. 
We get sick today, it's like, hey, is there some vitamins I can take, maybe a, you know, an antibiotic or, or some kind of medicine that I can take? In the 1800s, it was like, hey, let's get a knife, let's get his arm on the table, and let's cut his arm open, cut a hole in it, and let's make him bleed. Let's, you know, just let it bleed. Here's a picture. This has been going on since the ancient times. Um, Here's a picture from Grecian times of a bloodletting. And now here is a picture from uh, from 1860 of someone being bloodlet. And, you know, basically they would just say, "Let's, let's let the blood out. That was the greatest scientific advice at the time. Did you know that our first president, George Washington, died from bloodletting? Did you know that? On December 12th, he had uh, been out and he had gotten into the weather and he got sick. He he had a cold coming on, probably flu-like symptoms. And on December 13th, uh, uh, 1799, 1799, George Washington awoke with a really bad sore throat. He was really not feeling good at all. The next day, because this was science, he, he went to be bloodlet. And they cut uh, his arm, and it is reported in the stuff that I read this week, it looks like they, they bloodlet somewhere between two and a half and three pints of blood from President Washington. They cut his arm, and they let the blood come running out. 16 hours later, he was dead. But that was the scientific evidence and the scientific advice at the time. So let's think about the Bible, the greatest historical document known to mankind. We have more to back up the historicity and the evidence of the Bible than any other book. Uh, What is the likelihood that something in this book doesn't match science today. I think a a better thing to do is maybe let's flip the question. Okay, so let's flip the question. If this really, if this is really God's word, what would be the likelihood that the Bible was way ahead of any scientific discoveries that might happen in the future? Uh, Isn't that what you would expect if you were dealing with the, the, the word of God? that you would expect it to be ahead of science. You would expect it to know things that science hasn't even discovered yet. Here's what's amazing, and this is what you find in the Bible. I'm gonna give you two examples here. The first one is this. We know from history that all of the civilizations that existed during the Bible's writings, that, that uh, the 1,500 years of history uh, in that time Uh, People believed that the earth was being held up by something. Everyone believed that the earth was was held up by something. Three quick examples. I want to show you a a statue. The Greeks believed that Atlas held the world up. And there are plenty of statues like the one that I'm showing you right now. How about the Hindus? Uh, In Hindu writing, we know for a fact that the Hindus believed that the earth was held up by giant elephants on the back of a sea turtle, and sometimes they threw in a sea serpent uh, to go along with all that, okay? And they said when earthquakes happen, what's really happening is that the, 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 there's been a shift, that the turtle has moved, or the serpent has moved, or the, the elephants have moved. And that, that's what the Hindus believed held up the earth. Even the Egyptians, which by the way, a lot of the Old Testament was written by Moses, who was raised in an Egyptian household and went to the best Egyptian schools, all the Egyptians were taught that the earth was held up by five pillars. So what about the Bible? 
Wouldn't it be amazing if the Bible was ahead of its time in science? That before we ever knew that there was a solar system and that the earth was not held up by something, the Bible offered a more accurate view. One of the oldest books in the Bible is the book of Job. And here's what the book of Job says in Job 26, verse 7. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. And check this out. He suspends the earth over nothing. Why was Christianity the only religion that got it right? Because that's what you would expect if you were dealing with the Word of God. Now let me give you some evidence that will really wow you, and it comes from the realm of circumcision. (laughs) Um, And now some of you are getting a little squirmy, like really, do we have to talk about this? Yes, we have to talk about this. Imagine living two or 3,000 years ago and somebody says, um, uh, we're going to circumcise you. There are no medical clean rooms. There are no disinfectants. There are no painkillers. We don't have sharps like we have today. No scalpels. Imagine how many things could go wrong 3,000 years ago during a circumcision. And if you were getting circumcised, you just hoped that you didn't get the doctor with a shaky hand, right? I mean, that could be catastrophic. We get the first mention of circumcision before anyone really even knew what circumcision was. God commands the Israelites to be circumcised and to be set apart from all the other nations around them. I want to read to you the exact command of God from the book of Genesis, and I just want you to listen to this. This is Genesis 17, verse 12. For the generations to come, every male among you who is eight days old, that's when he wanted circumcision to happen. You're going to be circumcised on the eighth day. So why eight days old? Why not two days old? Why not five days old or ten days old? Why exactly eight days? Medical science, and we just discovered this in the 1930s, we discovered in the 1930s that when you are cut, for your blood to clot properly and for your your body to work the way it was designed and for your body to clot blood the way it's just amazing to watch our body heal itself, you need a certain protein, and that protein is called prothrombin or prothrombin. It is developed in our liver, and it requires a lot of vitamin K. And so, um, without a healthy dose of this prothrombin, your body will not clot, and you will bleed out and die. And what scientists discovered in the 1930s is that there is one day in a male's life where you peak with prothrombin and vitamin K. It's higher than any other day of your life. Anybody care to venture a guess as to what day your male's body produces more of these things than any other day? Science. Day eight of a baby's life, you will have a higher level of prothrombin and vitamin K than any other day in your life if you are male. It's lower before and it goes down after, but on day eight, it is at its highest level. How would a book written 3,500 years ago, know the science of that. How would any book written 3,500 years ago get that fact right? 
There's no way unless God wrote the book. Now, for some of you, that should be it, right? You would hear that and you'd go, okay, Brett, I'm sold. When some of you ask, why do you believe in the Bible? You're like, they ate circumcision, man. Come on. I mean, don't you know? Right? I mean, that's pretty good evidence. I love this quote. Johannes Kepler, who was a mathematician and an astronomer, said this, science is simply thinking God's thoughts after him. There's not a scientific instance in Scripture that would be disproven today. That should give some of you extreme confidence that the Bible is true, the scientific evidence. Here's the third piece of evidence to show you that the Bible is true. We're going to talk about prophetic evidence, we, we, a prophetic accuracy. We did this not too long ago. Understand that the Bible sets itself up for failure. You realize that, right? It sets itself up for failure with the amount of prophecies that it makes about the future. There are over a thousand prophecies in Scripture, 300 of those prophecies in the Old Testament about Jesus alone. 300 where he will be born, when he will die, how he will die. By the way, we're told way in advance that Jesus will be crucified, and at the time that that was prophesied, crucifixion didn't even exist as a torture mechanism. How he will be betrayed, how many days he will stay in the grave. Imagine the amount of fraud or failure that could be alleged if those prophecies are not borne out. So the critics of all those prophecies say, well, sure, you know, I mean, you've got somebody and, and uh, they, they make this prophecy and so somebody comes along later and is like, okay, well, this prophecy's there, so, you know, we just, we're going to write this out so that it looks like we're just going to fulfill the prophecies just with the way we write things. I mean, that was really the criticism. He'll be born in Bethlehem, the prophecy said. Well, let's make sure he's born in Bethlehem. You know, this will happen. Let's make sure this happens, Okay. That, that's one way. That's a pretty valid critique. That's, you know, that's something that if, if I was uh, skeptical, that's something that I might think or something that I might say. Up until the year 1947 and the greatest archaeological find in history, do you know what it was? The Dead Sea Scrolls. In the Dead Sea Scrolls, we found the oldest Old Testament documents in existence today. Secular scientists have carbon dated those documents to 300 years before the time that Jesus even existed, which means if a document with a prophecy is carbon dated 300 years before Jesus and it came true, nobody wrote it in later. Jesus' fulfillment of that prophecy and with the Dead Sea Scrolls, that is exactly what we found. We found prophecies that secular scientists have predated to Jesus prophesying about Jesus, and then Jesus comes along and fulfills those prophecies. Within the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have found over 15,000 different documents and fragments of the Old Testament. Guess what percentage of those match our documents of the Bible today? There is a 99.9% accuracy. Thousands of years later, that's incredible. Here's the best fact about the Dead Sea Scrolls. They have found one scroll, which is the most complete. It is the, the largest scroll out of the many scrolls that were found, and it is the book of Isaiah. You can, go to the, you can go to Israel today, and you can go to a museum and see this scroll. This is the Isaiah scroll. 
And it is massive. This is in the Israel, um, the Israel Museum. And this is the massive Isaiah scroll. Guess which book in the Old Testament contains more prophecies about Jesus than any other? <laughs> Isaiah. God's winking at you right now. God's telling you something right now. I got you. Do you doubt? I'll show you the carbon-dated proof that the prophecies about my son are true and that they really did happen the way they were foretold. This is exactly what you would expect if this really is the Word of God. A couple of series ago, I talked a little bit about a guy named Dr. Peter Stroner, who is the head mathematician at Pasadena College uh, some time back. And I showed you this statistic. Dr. Stroner calculated the odds, not just of, of one person in Jesus fulfilling 300 of the prophecies that were made about him in the Old Testament, but he gave the statistics of if, if Jesus just fulfilled eight of those prophecies. What are the odds of that? And we know for a fact that just based on the historical documents that he fulfilled 300 different prophecies. But what are the odds of fulfilling just eight of those prophecies? And I showed you this a couple of months, about a month or two ago. It is one chance in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, so you got 10 and 17 zeros. Let me put it to you another way. That's 100 quadrillion. Those are the odds. 100 quadrillion to one that one man would fulfill eight prophecies made about him 300 years in advance. Another way to say it is this. The odds are impossible. Lee Strobel gave a, a great way to try to understand this number. He, he said if you were to take the state of Texas and you were to take silver dollar coins and you were to cover the state of Texas in silver dollar coins to two feet deep, okay, so up over your knees, you're going to cover the entire state of Texas in silver dollar coins two feet deep and you're going to take one coin and put a small red dot on it, and you took it out and you buried it somewhere in Texas. And then you blindfolded somebody and you sent them into the state of Texas and instructed them to walk out into the sea of coins and reach their hand down and pull out one coin. The odds of that person pulling out that one coin with the red dot on it are the odds of Jesus being able to fulfill eight prophecies that were made about him 300 years in advance. Jesus didn't just fulfill eight, eight prophecies, though. Jesus fulfilled 300 prophecies. So you have the scientific evidence and accuracy. You have the historical accuracy. The prophetic accuracy is overwhelming. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21 says, For prophecy never had its origin in the human will. But prophets, through hum, though human, spoke from God as, though, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The Bible is true, and you can trust it. The evidence is overwhelming. But that doesn't help some of you, does it? That, that doesn't do it for you. Because you have some unanswered questions that have nagged at you for a long time. And those questions have really nothing to do with the Bible, with the evidence in the Bible, your question it really comes from something that's in the Bible that you don't want to be true. 
It could be that there's something that the Bible calls a sin, and you don't want it to be a sin because that happens to be something that you have a propensity to do, or that's something that's a struggle for you. Or you have a family member who is doing that thing, and you just don't want to believe that it's true because you don't want to believe that they're on the the wrong side of God. And you've thrown this whole thing out because you just don't think that you can abide by or live by the book. And so you've said, you know what, I'm out. Mark Twain said this, this is a great quote, it is not the parts of the Bible I don't understand that disturb me, it's the parts of the Bible I do understand that disturb me. I think that's true for an awful lot of people. The great G.K. Chesterton said this, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting, it has been found difficult and left untried. And I just have a feeling that somebody in here this morning needs to hear this. Even if I answered every single question or objection you have about the Bible today, it wouldn't matter because you don't want to live your life that way. And you don't want God weighing in on your life at all. If that's you, my question for you is this. How's life going living it on your terms and living it your way? Keep operating your life as if this book is irrelevant and untrue and you will get stuck. You will get sidetracked. All the evidence points to the fact that this book is legitimate, that this book is true, that it is credible, and that it can be trusted. Now I gave you the historical evidence, I gave you prophetic evidence, I gave you scientific evidence, But for me, it really comes down to personal evidence. The evidence that I have seen in my own life and the lives of countless people that I have been close to over the years that I have watched follow the teachings of the Scriptures. People who have lived their lives according to this book and what it has done for them. I've paid attention and I've watched them. You you, you can argue with the history, you can argue with the science, you can argue with the prophecy, What's hard to argue with is a life that has been transformed by living according to this book. People who are living according to this book and it has changed their life. You've seen that evidence. You've been to a funeral of a woman who has lost her husband in a tragic way and you've watched that woman bear up under unbelievable pain and sorrow and do so with a grace that you you looked at and you thought boy I don't know that I could ever go through what she's going through and handle it with such a plum and such grace and such dignity how is she doing that you've seen a single mom who has no reason for peace in her life there's no, I mean, finances are hard for her. She's doing it all by herself. She's got these kids. She's trying to raise them. And you watch her, and she's always filled with joy. She's always got a smile on her face. She still talks about Jesus. She still worships. And you've looked at her, and you've thought to yourself, how in the world is she doing that? You see marriages that are thriving and you get jealous and you think, man, I wish my marriage looked like that. And you just want to ignore it, but you can't. It's the kind of thing that you can't look away from. It's so good. It's so solid. It's so put together. And they are living their marriage out from the standards of Scripture. 
Here's what I can tell you. This book has changed my life. I am who I am today because of the wisdom I have gained from this book. A life lived from God's word, truly lived from God's word, is a life that is thriving. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the crowd of God, <laughs> the crowd, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even, the dividing, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. And for some people, it's just a little too close for comfort. I've never met anybody in my life who has tried to live according to this book who regretted it. I've met tons of people who were living according to this book and departed from it. I've met tons of people who were following God and departed from it and then with great sorrow looked at me and said, Brett, I am so sorry I ever walked away. I wish I could be that person again. It is the instruction manual for your life. Why would you get a product so amazing as the human body and not read the owner's manual to that finely tuned machine to know how to optimize its use and effectiveness? You can keep trying to do this on your own or you can finally submit to the will and the word of God and let it inform your life and watch your life become transformed. Here's my experience. A Bible that is falling apart usually belongs to someone who isn't. I want that for every one of you. I want you to have a Bible that is marked up, used, worn out, and a life that isn't. Because when you have confidence in Scripture, you'll embrace it, you'll engage it, and you'll start doing what it says. I'm asking you this morning to please re-engage with the scriptures. Put the Bible app on your phone. That would be a great place to start. It's free. There are, there are reading plans on there. There's all kinds of inspirational stuff on there. Go out and get the Bible app. Get, um, I forget the name of it. I mean, Bible app, obviously, but there's, um, there's one specific one uh, that, that Life Church and, and the people out there, Bobby Grunwald, developed that that particular app, and it's fantastic. You'll find that very, very helpful. I want to give you four challenges this morning, if you would, before I close. The first thing I want to tell you is this. I just want you, for the next 21 days, just for the next 21 days, commit to read one chapter of the Bible a day for 21 days. And it just so happens that if you were to go out and select John, the book of John, it has 21 chapters in it. So, so, so take, take a a little period of time and read one chapter a day. Spend 15 minutes alone with God. That's about how long it takes to read a chapter. Just say a little prayer before you start. God, I want to spend some time with you this morning. I'm going to read your word. Please speak to me in the things that I've read this morning or this evening or whenever it is that you do it. Find a place, find a time that suits you, but for 21 days, give this a shot and see what happens. And then number three, pick one verse that you think God is speaking to your life specifically in what you've read. Just find one verse that stands out to you, something that catches your eye. 
And then the last thing is, do what that verse says. Do everything you can in the day to apply that particular verse to your life. Information without application does not equal transformation. Information without application will never equal transformation. You have to apply the information you're getting and watch it transform your life. That is what Scripture will do. God's Word is true, and it is is designed for you, and it is a gift from a God who loves you. And He's gone to great lengths to provide this book for you and for me, a book you can trust, a book that is credible, a book of fulfilled prophecies, a book that defies the odds. This is a book you can trust. Don't be afraid of it. Engage it, embrace it, read it, and let it transform your life. Let's pray together. Father, it's my prayer that the person who walked in here this morning that is skeptical, the person who has has it in their head that the Bible cannot be trusted, it's my prayer this morning that something that I've said has pushed them over the edge to maybe reconsider that position. And God, I have such faith in you, and I'm so thankful that you have gone to the lengths you have to give us the book that you have so that we can be your people and we can be transformed by your word. And so, Lord, would you take my feeble attempt this morning at at preaching and teaching and and do a miracle and and do a work in people and convince them and, and help them to see that this book can be trusted, that it is credible, and it is your word. And, Father, we thank you for it. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.